everybody welcome to the 100th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling in southern oregon just so hyped for it to be the 100th episode of this podcast i mean we've done the right thing a hundred straight weeks we've been here recording we, we've got, we've gone 100% on each podcast from our like the abilities that we had. We went 100% with it. So to be here at episode 100 is fucking dope. It took damn near th- two and a half years to do it, too. Well, I mean, Blazers didn't have like extremely long finals runs, which lasted till May. And then, <laughs> I mean, we did the best we could. We, we were creative with it. We did our thing to get to 100 episodes, and I'm fucking proud of it. I had just finished an internship with the Trailblazers um, during my senior year of, of college, and this was during the recession. So I was unemployed for about six months in the summer of 09. Blazers were coming off of a 54-win season, and everything looked really, really bright. And I wanted to start a blog. I was getting stir-crazy, you know, cabin fever, being unemployed, kind of locked, you know, kind of just feeling like you're caged. and. It was a great outlet, and I was able to take that blog and kind of work with with the homie Matt on it, and we started podcasting every now and then, and it didn't really start to become official until, you know, I met you. We did a couple of draft podcasts, and I, I think we have one from 2012 that we need to uh, release to the public oh, yeah. pretty soon. It, oh, yeah. I just need to take about 10 minutes of music out of it because, you know, we, we went into the... Uh the radio station KPSU, where I spent the first five years of my radio career just killing it, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I mean, who would have thought that me being the board op for this guy who works for the Blazers would turn into a, a podcast that's gone on for three years? I mean, it's fucking dope, man. I, I, I distinctly remember I was not supposed to be the board op. It was supposed to be our, the homie Jay Turk, who probably isn't listening, but he, you know, he uh, he was sick and asked me, "Hey, I know you like basketball. Why don't you be the board up for this podcast called the Holy Backboard? It's got a guy who uh, works with the Blazers. It might be good for you to, you know, meet someone like uh, Dustin." I was like, "All right, I got it," because you know, at that time. I was the best board op at the the station, so fuck it, I'll do it. And then we did our first episode, and I was like, this dude knows what the fuck he's talking about. Like, I agree with, like, his takes, which in sports radio, especially in, like, 2012, is like, not many people are saying this shit. They don't know who the fuck Jay Crowder is. So it was just like, holy shit. So, I mean, our friendship definitely became... From Jay Turk being sick and then Shalmar Clark being the uh, industrious man he is and, like, wanted to put people together and connect. So, yeah, I mean, shout out to Shao. I know his ass doesn't listen, but he will this time because I'm going to spam his Facebook with it. So, yeah, I mean, yo, a hundred episodes, man. I mean, 
to go from a blog that you started because you were stir crazy to this? I mean, you're 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 a grown up with a job and shit. And I'm, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> we are grown ups now, aren't we? I'm trying super hard not to be a grown up, but it's getting more work. <laughs> like I'm a grown up, so yeah, man, it, it's it's crazy to do this journey with you, bro. But let's get down to business and talk about what has made this podcast Trailblazers basketball in true Rip City form. Our squad goes two and two over the week, winning at home against Philly and on the road against Chicago in overtime, both without Dame and throwing up a head scratcher in Atlanta against the worst team in the league and then fighting pretty valiantly through three quarters against uh, the best team in the Eastern Conference the Cleveland Cavaliers and to boot, they had Isaiah Thomas making his return from an injury. So you knew they were going to be emotionally fired up for that game. A long-term injury too. And he like our defense made him look good. He's always given us fits though. It's those jitterbug point guards. Yeah. The water bug quick ones. Like he, Goran Dragic, the, the really herky jerky ones, uh, the Chris Pauls that can just use the hesitation, but also they have some quickness. Yeah, the Kemba Walker. And they just get in there and they give us fits. Um, Isaiah's given us troubles for years, but it's... I can't lie. I'm going to lay my cards out on the table. The loss against the Atlanta Hawks, 104-89, to a team that had nine wins, to a team that has nobody that's going to sniff an all-star team, to a team that doesn't have anybody that's really worth building a team around, even a third star. Well, they, I named seven people, Doug. You, you can't even name ten people from their team. They kicked our ass, Sage. This was coming off an emotional comeback victory in which we had a 19-0 run against the Philadelphia 76ers on TNT. We're supposed to be a good road team. This is how we kick off our three-game trip? I'm not going to lie. This game broke my spirit, and I don't know if it has returned yet. The Blazers have a lot of work to do to regain my enthusiasm for the year. And I hate that for the past three years, there's been this point in the season where I feel like all hope is lost. And it's getting really fucking old. They turned it around in 2016 when Dame got back from his injury. They made the move last year to get Nurkic and had that incredible march. Sage, I don't know what they can do this year to make me feel comfortable moving forward. Yes, I know if you look at the standings, Portland is still 19 and 18, tied for seventh in the Western Conference with with the Pelicans. But with the Clippers resurgence and getting healthy, they're only a game uh, ahead of the Clippers to be in the playoffs. Um I also know we're only three games back in the last column for fourth against the Minnesota Timberwolves, so a lot can change. But what won't change and what can't change is how poorly Portland has played at home. They did not take advantage of that easy schedule, and now they have got a hell of a road trip coming up after two games at home against the Hawks and the San Antonio Spurs. So Sage, am am I overreacting? Um, Are you feeling kind of the same things? Because you know I've sat through some shitty losses this year. I was at oh, that. Oh yeah, you've been there live too, I was, I was at the Brooklyn game. You know, I I saw I watched, <laughs> the Raptors one as well. I was huh? at the Raptors game. You know, we all watched the Utah collapse, the Milwaukee collapse. 
Um, I was at the Clipper game when Blake hit that three when all we had to do was make our free throws. So I've seen some shit this year and in person, but this game, for whatever reason, just it felt different. It felt it felt like they knew that something had to give and something's going to give pretty soon, I think. I don't think we are going to go through the rest of the season without any moves, whether it's roster or uh, management personnel. Hmm. Well, I agree that I wonder how drastic it's going to be. Is it trade Nurk or CJ, or is it like use the TPE to get some game-changing small forward on a team that either has a gluttony of small forwards or, you know, trade a first for it? I I don't know what it is. Game-changing small forwards don't just grow on trees, though, and you're not okay, ju- and you're not just going <laughs> to decent. Decent. That's the thing with these this, these TPEs. Teams just aren't going to give you a Great player yeah, 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 for yeah. you know salary cap relief uh, unless, especially now too. Like in the beginning of the season, yeah. I mean, we we do have a calendar year to use it, but you want to still get somebody who's going to have time to get integrated into the system, into the culture, mm-hmm. the locker room, know the plays, know where guys like the ball. Um, build that chemistry up, and as we can see in OKC, and as we've seen with Evan Turner, shit takes time. But what kind of upsets me is you look at Houston, they go out, and Gerald Green's just in their backyard, just chilling, and he's averaging like 20 points per game over his last four, and Mm -hmm. instant offense, and he's been proven instant offense, yet we're still trotting out Jake Lehman as a starter. Um, Why? At I just I, I think this is starting to reflect negatively on Neil Olshay and things are starting to pile up where you're 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 leaving your you know your your jaws a little drooping and you're scratching your head wondering what is going on. I, I mean I understand that nobody had signed Gerald Green, but as a Blazer fan, he has killed us for years. Mm. And what do we need on on the bench? We need scoring. We need production. Our starters hang pretty well. It was in that Cleveland game, uh, the fourth quarter. It was tied, and they went on like a 17-1, 17-2 run, something like that. Put the game away. We didn't have yeah, our, our starters We in definitely there. need that that irrational confidence type of guy off the bench to like, especially, if he's hot, Especially at the changer. two and the three. Exactly. You know, I, I love Mo Harkless, but he's not giving us very much outside of that really nice Philadelphia performance where I was like, ooh, Mo, are you going to come, you know, are you going to come back to life? Essentially, like this is the player we thought we had, you know, getting, you know, the, the stats are modest. Eight points, two boards, two assists, a steal and a block. But he had two money threes, and his defense on Ben Simmons was just like it was on Josh Jackson to start the season, locked down. And that's what we needed from Reese Harkless. And I know he provides defense, but there is just so many things that that Damon CJ can do. They need scoring help, especially if one of them – if, God forbid, if one of them has an off night – our chances of winning are, are slim to none, and, and Slim just r- rode off into the sunset. I mean, just think. What if one sprains an ankle and is out for two weeks? Doug, we're losing damn near every game we play if one of them's gone. I mean, our off- our offense falls apart when both of them aren't there because defenses could just target CJ. 
So having them both was like our plan of attack offensively. But and I agree, like we definitely need that. Like, how dope would it be to have Lou Williams on our team? Or shit, Malik Monk would be pretty awesome right now. Just that dude that can come and get buckets. And if he's on fire, he'll be in the finishing five of a game. And I think what is so we talked about this, you know, quite quite a bit last episode, and, and I still see the conversation on Twitter, uh, online, on forums. You know, who is to blame when something goes wrong? When shit hits the fan, there's always got to be a scapegoat. People love pointing the finger. They want somebody to be the fall guy. Someone's got to carry that weight, you know, as they say, and the wire. Like, somebody's got to take the time. Who, Who is it going to be? And I don't want to pat ourselves on, on the back too much, Sage, but I feel like some of the things yeah, we've been yeah, saying yeah, we for a while, people are starting to realize. Uh, Terry Stotts, not the best coach in the league, and his rotations are dumbfounding. You know, they I, suck. I saw the stat pop up. We're eight and three when Noah Vonley plays twenty plus minutes a night. We are we've only had four double digit victories. Three of those double digit victories took place when Noah Vonley had twenty minutes per night. We were fourteen and six over that stretch in March last year when Nurkic came on. Who was starting next to him? It was Noah Vonley. Why is Al Farouk Aminu playing the four when we have a just a glutton of talented power forwards that Aminu could slide over to the three, which would relegate Turner to the bench? I just don't see how a starting lineup of Dame, CJ, Turner, Aminu, and Nurkic scares anybody, especially if you have Turner handling the ball, taking the ball out of your two best playmakers and, and Dame and CJ. Yeah, they can play off the ball for stretches, especially CJ, but... I think you're taking so much pressure off of the defense when you allow Evan Turner so much. Yeah, you can relax. Yeah, you can relax. Like if if Evan Turner is hitting a mid range jumper, who gives a fuck? Damon CJ are the players that like scare the shit out of opponents. Giving it to like if you had who are we playing this week? Uh, Atlanta and San Antonio. If we gave Coach Popovich, hey, what would you like the Blazers to run? I'm thinking he would want Evan Turner to dribble the ball on the top in the top of the key, and have Evan Turner make the decision. That would be the that would be the ultimate thing that they would want, and we're doing that. That is what we're doing for a good portion of the game. Let Evan Turner have the ball in his hands because he's useless without it. So it's like we're feeding into what other teams want us to do, and we've seen this same show for well over a hundred games. Yes, it worked in Chicago. He was fantastic. I'll be the first to say he played amazing in Chicago. He had 22 points. He was a plus 14, 10 of 14 from the field, six assists, four rebounds. Most importantly, only one turnover. And we were able to win 124 to 120 in overtime. And he was a major reason why. He and CJ kept us in that game. Al Farouk had the clutch threes. And I'll be the first to admit, Evan had a great game. But for every one of those games, it feels like we're getting five or six just duds. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think Evan Turner is a bad basketball player. And I don't blame him for signing that contract. Everyone and their mother would have taken $17 million from the Trailblazers. I think Evan Turner and Terry Stott's offense are just a divorce that needs to happen. Stott's offense is at its best free-flowing 
piled with shooters and a lot of movement. Turner is at his best when he slows the game down, he has the ball in his hands, and he's able to isolate and either post up a smaller guard or get into the lane for, you know, an eight-foot kind of step back that he likes to operate with. And we've seen him come off the bench. We've seen him start. We've seen him run the offense. Whatever it does, we're getting no consistencies. But unfortunately, if you're Portland, you're stuck with one of the toughest contracts to move in the league. And you mm-hmm. better you better not attach a first round pick to get rid of it. You know, you made your bed, Neil, you gotta you gotta lay in it. So you gotta just wait this shit out. So if you're Portland, what do you do? Are are you gonna bench him? Are you gonna bench seventeen million dollars? Are you going to find a new role for him? I mean I just feel like this franchise is a little bit stuck with the dis- the decisions that Neil made in 2016 and the way Stotts is running the team currently. Mm. So my question is, it's been a week since we've talked about it. Who do you think's going to leave? Who's the fall guy? Because I think it's Terry Stotts. From what I've read, uh, Paul Allen talks to Neil O'Shea a lot more than Terry Stotts. You know that he's whispering sweet nothings well, in his ears. As saying, it should be, though. I don't think. Oh, the, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think the. I think the so, head coach should have the most autonomy of anyone in the mm, front office. They don't need. But, they don't need people fucking up their schemes, telling them what to do. Like that's what they get yeah, paid for. Uh, well, look, look at what happened in Sacramento with Mike Malone. Like the owner was talking, vet, vet, whatever his name is, Vivek. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry if I didn't get the pronunciation right. And it's actually but. just like – so I'm reading a book by David uh, Halberstram, who is the author of The Breaks of the Game. But I'm reading a book called Playing for Keeps, which is a detailed look at MJ and especially that 97-98 bowl season. I had known that they did not really get along with Jerry Krause, the GM, and Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner – but I'd always wondered why that team just blew up after that season. I thought the lockout had something to do with it. But just reading through those first few chapters, one, you had a GM who was so upset that MJ and Phil Jackson and Pippen were getting all the credit for the championships. He wanted to blow it up so he could take some credit and win a title that way. And you had an owner who was from the banking industry and was so used to negotiation and wasn't used to bankers coming in and saying, hey, you know, look at my numbers this year. I really deserve a raise. He wasn't used to, you know, NBA, which is very fluid contracts. And mm-hmm. they really blew that team. They could have maybe stuck together a year or two longer and not made it pulling teeth. So I completely get what you're saying. Like there is a lot of back channeling that probably happens that we just have no idea about. And it's, I mean, if you're talking with the guy more often, you're gonna be able to make your point better than the guy who's more isolated. So if I were a betting man, I would say Terry Stotts gets fired. I mean, I think that has to be the, the easy, the easy call, the easy money right there, because one, you can't fire a team. And two, if you already know the ship's going down, you don't want to fire a GM during the season because, mm-hmm. well, one, there's the trade deadline. Two, obviously, you got to work through the draft, and that's what Neil is, you know, given credit for. So, it, to me, it feels a lot easier to get rid of a coach because you can have his assistant coaches step in for an interim basis, and you can kind of steer the direction of the franchise better with a GM in place than a coach. Mm. Um, 
Do I think it's right? I really don't know. I I would not like to see something happen midseason. I think that usually is pretty messy. But at the same time, it's kind of like seeing, you know, if you see a an animal on the side of the road or, you know, something, it's, it's suffering. You kind of want to put it out of its misery. So if Terry Stotts knows he's going to go, why does he want to stick around for 40 extra games? You know, if that, if that's the predicament. So that's, that's an area where I could see a midseason firing, um, taking place. But, you know, there, there are candidates out there. We both are big fans of David Fisdale. Yep. I mean, he, I, he, he, you know, Fisdale would work with Nurk and maybe he, he could take him to that next level. I mean, I just am imagining Neil just on the phone telling Paul Allen, hey, man. This is wrong with the team. His his rotations are crap. His defense is really basic and vanilla. Yeah, we had 20 games of good numbers, but here's this reason, that reason, and the third. Why? That's all faux stats, and this is right now is what the team really is. And they could all be collaborating True. together. They could be saying, hey, let's limit Noah's minutes. We know this year's probably not going to be what we want it to be. So let's limit Noah's minutes for now. Let's not get his contract numbers too high next year because we know he's a restricted free agent. Ed Davis is an unrestricted free agent. Let's showcase him a bit. Let's, you know, see if he can get extra playing time and, you know, maybe he's worth something on, on at the trade deadline. I'm not certain that's the case. It could have been early in the year, but now that the team is not winning and winning is trumps everything you have to switch up your gears you got to change your game if if winning's not not coming and if that means no von is going to get a bigger payday then so be it same thing with shabazz napier um portland's going to have a lot of tough decisions and as a blazer fan i'm not certain how i feel because shabazz napier to me is our version of patty mills i think he's going to be very valuable but at the same time, what what is that worth? And you have to look at Shabazz Napier in a sense of his value against other backup point guards, or are you looking at his value in comparison to the other contracts that we've thrown out, and now he's at a disadvantage because we already have so much sunk costs into guys like Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, Myers Leonard. And we got to pay, I mean, like... We have it's six. Not a, we have six million dollars tied up in dead salary in Anderson Verjao and Andrew Nicholson. Festus. What about Festus? Festus is off after this year. That doesn't really bother me because when we took that contract out, we got our first round pick. So the six million for Verjao doesn't really bother me. No, no, it's, me. it's two for Verjao. I think we're doing oh. four for Nicholson. So six. But it got rid of that atrocious contract. And gave Pat Connaughton some time. So I'm not... The dead salary isn't what bothers me. The Evan Turner signings is way more oh, I, I, offensive. I agree. But when we're looking at the salary cap or the, the salary of the Trailblazers next year, um, I was looking at one of the forums. I think it was Rip City 2. And one of the members was just going over the, fi- the financials. And we are going to be... I don't. This is our team. Yeah, I don't see a way we're not going to pay severe amounts of luxury tax. We only have nine guys under contract for next year. You throw in a first round pick. Um, that's even if you keep Jake Lehman at, at a million or or so dollars. 
Um, I think we're if you're asking this is the squad. Yeah, if you're asking this me what's the solution, I say you have to be patient and you have to just ride those contracts out and do whatever you can because that was a, a four year mistake. In four years is 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 a long time for mm-hmm. for that summer, and I think that summer is what's going to. Unfortunately, I think that summer could define ten to fifteen years of Blazer mm-hmm. basketball. And if you want to get me started on the draft, the draft could add another 10 years to that as well. So we're looking 20 to 25 years in back-to-back summers that could that, – that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for someone who has been a fan since they were five years old. I haven't seen the Blazers in the finals since I was seven. I'm 32 right now. I haven't seen the Blazers in the Western Conference finals since high school. I was a freshman, 15 years old. I – I understand we don't have the most bleak outlook, but it, it's not too bright right now because I feel like we're the Washington Wizards of the Eastern of the Western Conference, where we have two amazing backcourt players, but we have no shot at winning. For the record, Sage just had to interrupt the, the podcast to take a call from his mom, so you know he's a good dude. Yeah, I'm a good boy. All the girls that may or may not listen, I'm a good boy. I mean, any other person in the world, I just go into the message. My mom. My mom answer. I I answer my mom's. I mean, I guess the question that I would ask all Blazer fans to look at, and it may not be a fair one, just given the the roles and responsibilities, but we can all agree Greg Popovich is the best coach in the best coach in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best GM. Maybe you look at a guy like Bob Myers at Golden State. I still think RC Buford at San Antonio carry some weight. Uh, Danny Ainge does a pretty decent job over over in Boston. If you were to say the Portland Trailblazers are 19 and 18 right now, if we had Greg Popovich, what would our record be? Oh, fuck. We'd be in the third seed minimum. Okay. If we had R.C. Buford start starting in the summer of 2016, where would we be now? Ooh. I'd be upset if we didn't make it to the second round. So I, I, I'm just, yes, Neil fucked Legitimately up. Legitimately making yeah. it to the second Neil, round. Neil fucked up. I, I think he, he would admit to that in in privacy. I, I think it's if, it, if we gave him a truth pill, absolutely, he would say, "I yo, I fucked that shit up." He would he would fall on that. He he fucked it up. We are we are screwed because of of, of because of that summer, but. As terrible as some of those decisions were, the roster, if you really look at the roster, it is pretty damn good on paper. This team should be winning more. And a lot of blame goes to the players because they're they're grown men. They shouldn't have to have somebody else motivate them. And I know there are some players who play their ass off. But at the same time, there's something about a coach who is just a master at getting the most out of his players, at pushing the right buttons. That cannot be undervalued enough. I mean, you look at it in any sport. Pete Carroll goes to USC, turns them around. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, he went to Stanford, turned that program around. Rick Carlisle went to Dallas, made them a championship team. Phil Jackson, wherever he went, he made them a winner. Same with Pat Riley. Those guys... And yes, I know they had immense talent, but they were still the ones that got the most out of that talent when others couldn't. 
a coach can make an entirety of difference. And I'm not saying that if we let Terry Stotts go and we bring in Fizdale, but it's automatically going to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows and we're going to be fighting for home court advantage. What I am saying is I think after six years, we've seen what the trailblazers are under Terry Stotts. This, this is it. Like, do you really in your heart of hearts believe that Terry Stotts is a championship caliber no, no, I, Doug. head coach? The answer has to be no. Doug, when we first started this shit three years ago or two and a half years ago, I think like episode eight or nine, I said he isn't a championship coach. He has too many flaws and the players aren't there to, you know, make up for those flaws. And it's been the same shit for three years where there's still this glaring ass fucking flaw about this team. Yet we haven't addressed it. We haven't done anything really to like make cover up that flaw. Like, you know, hire on Adams, hire a guy that knows this defensive shit. Hire a fucking big man coach, please. For the love of God, you've got a 23 year old bull who just wants to be great. He has the talent to be great. He, He needs those buttons pushed. He needs a little bit of skill. He's got the mm-hmm. raw talent, but he needs a guy that's going to work with him. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know what what is said behind closed doors because right now I'm at a loss. I think all of Rip City is at a loss. This was supposed to be the year that Portland, I wouldn't say take the next step, but they should be at the very least where the Minnesota Timberwolves are right now at 24 and 15, maybe the Spurs at 26 and 13. The schedule's been easy. The home games have been there. The games have been there for the taking in the closing minutes. The defense has improved. I'll give Terry Stotts that. The defense has improved. Yeah, it's not absolutely atrocious. But we are still losing games. Are the players tuning him out? Also, and I've noticed this for quite some time, but I've been really paying attention he lets them play too reckless. Why mm. is Aminu allowed to dribble the ball up the court? Why is Nurkic allowed to take off-balance shots where he's not even looking at the basket? Why is Evan Turner making passes, you know, threading between three defenders? You know, CJ and Dame, they're not immune to this as well. They take some really head-scratchers. Although Dame, he has earned basically whatever the fuck he wants to do because he's the franchise. And he's hit big shots in big but moments. But he, admittedly, he hasn't been playing within the flow of the offense a lot this year as well. So, I mean, like, everyone's played reckless. I know he gets more latitude because he's fucking the franchise player, but, like... But he's also the only games... one making shots, too. Yeah, but it's like, oh, that was very quick. That yeah. wasn't in part of the offense, so, like, I will say that, yeah, everyone's but... been playing reckless. And that falls on Terry Stotts. Like, he allows them... But, I mean, them... like, it, it's, it's been a constant... For like three years. I mean, shit. Like normally with players, and I'll take Dame as an example, you live with a, a, his shots. You live with his shot mm-hmm. selection because he has the capability of putting in 50, of hitting a game winner. He has that that pedigree, that resume of, okay, this is Damian Lillard. Like this is an all NBA type cat. Whereas, and I'll use Alfred Camino as an example. He's never been a strong ball handler. He's never been a smooth finisher in traffic. He's never been someone who you trust on the break handling the basketball. You have to say, Al, as soon as you get the ball, you pass that. You are not needing a break. If you do, you're going to the bench. I think he's too nice to a fault. 
I think he's too much of a player's coach. You have to have some asshole in you, and I, I don't think the players fear him. Oh, I doubt. I seriously doubt it. I mean, like, I've watched Al Farouk for, fuck, three years. There was, I don't, I can't even, I don't even remember a time where he got the rebound on defense and took it up. It was almost always he was looking for that point guard to, you know, take the ball at the court. I think Al Farouk's game has expanded from his days in New Orleans because of the freedom. But there, I feel like <laughs> this may not make much sense, but there's like, a limit to the freedom that he deserves. You can take open threes. Yeah, you're, you're one of the best in the one, league. Yeah, you're, but when you go one on three on a fast break, is not the best type of basketball when it when it's a guy that isn't the best dribbler. Can we talk a bit about? So we talk about the Blazers playing a little bit reckless, which which I definitely agree with and have been watching out for but are the Blazers not trusting each other as much as maybe they had in the past and I'm not going to single him out but it was an example of the type of play that I'm talking about CJ McCollum he has oh. four, four assists or excuse me I'm looking at the wrong game Mr. Gimme 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 so in the Chicago game CJ had 32 points eight assists two turnovers I will take eight assists from CJ every night. I don't even care about the, the two turns. That is amazing. But when we're talking about trust, with the game on the line twice, and at least once I vividly remember, he had Nurk wide open underneath the pick and roll with under 60 seconds on the clock, yet he forced up not a terrible shot, but he could have gave Nurk a better look, and he missed both to win the game. We had to go into overtime, and we're lucky we, we um, escaped with a victory. Is that um, is that CJ not trusting his teammates, or is that just not in CJ's wheelhouse to be able to make that pass? I feel like I've seen him make that pass. He he has the ability to make that pass. Like there have been games where he's had to run point and done a serviceable job at it. So I know it's in his wheelhouse. Maybe he thought I trust myself more in this situation than Nurk in a wide open situation. But to say he doesn't have the ability to do it, I don't buy that. And so these are just some things to keep an eye out on. And but this is for, but this he has been extremely, extraordinarily selfish in the last... When did Dame get injured? Like December 15th or something? I think it was December 20th against the Spurs. Okay, he's been very selfish in a lot of those games. Where it's Mr. Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. He takes seven step, seven dribbles goes right into the teeth of the defense and gets blocked. That has been something that has happened quite frequently. I mean, with Dame and without Dame. He's been selfish this month. And that doesn't benefit him. That's not his game. He is best when he makes one or two moves and he's pulling up and shooting. Or mm -hmm. he's catching and shooting off of, you know, a couple of curls. Um, the isolation, I don't think, does CJ any favors because it just gives the defense a longer time to... Um, look at the the alignment on offense mm -hmm. and d decide who's going to come and send over the help. So mm -hmm. CJ's at his best when he's going quick, but I just think there's something up with the team where we're not. Do you think it's a part of the culture where they overlook teams and there's a bit of oh, selfishness and absolutely a me you wanna, first type of app? Yeah, you, you want to talk about overlooking teams? So I don't know if they have a me first 
attitude. I think they genuinely like each other. I don't think that is the problem. But I think Dame can only do so much. I know Dame has the focus, but when you hear Nurk talking about the Blazers, so I'm going to go back to the end of November. We have that 4-1 and one road trip, wins over Memphis, Brooklyn, Washington, and New York with the one loss at Philly. Mm-hmm. We come home, we lose four straight home games. A clunker against the Bucks, a clunker against the Pelicans without AD, um, a big-time loss against the Wizards without John Wall, Bradley Beal setting the city record for an opponent, and then a tough loss against the Rockets. Nurk was said after the Milwaukee game, we were overconfident coming into that game. How are you overconfident when you're barely beating Memphis without Mike Conley? You had to go, we had to put up 127 to beat the Brooklyn Nets by two. You blew, you had to erase a 17 point deficit to beat the Wizards, and then you beat the Knicks by 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you look like shit, absolute dog shit in that fourth quarter. That was one of the worst quarters I've seen a Trailblazer team in in quite some time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. how in the world are you overconfident? Against a Milwaukee team that that stole your cookies at the end of the game, you should have wanted revenge. I mean, you're coming home for four straight. Right I after, mean, it, right after the Thanksgiving break, you've got all of the momentum. We were thirteen and eight. You know, five games over five hundred. We could have really cemented ourselves that our season right there. And you come out and you say you were overconfident. I don't get it. Is now no no no? Is that a Nurkic thing? Or no, was, I think it was Nurkic the only one that had the balls to say it. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think. I I think he had the balls to actually say how they felt because I mean, like he's pretty blunt, and it was obvious on the court. Like they didn't go one hundred percent of what they ha- could have done. And we they, see how well this team plays when they go one hundred percent. I was in the arena for the Philadelphia comeback for the nineteen zero run. What sparked it? It was effort. It was intensity. It was lockdown defense. It was my man is not going to score. And if he goes into the paint, ooh, I got a buddy behind me to back me up. I'm going to move the ball on offense and I'm going to hit open shots. I'm going to attack the offensive glass and I'm going to play with that chip on our shoulder. Now, Sage, we've talked about this the last two years where we felt the team has underachieved. They do not have that intensity, that, that just chip on their shoulder that they had when, you know, six of the top seven members of the team, you know, jump ship. In the summer of 2015. Mm. This team is not talented enough to just go be, beat others on just to show up and the others are going to roll over. They've got to want it more. And I think this problem that the Blazers have, it goes so deep because mm. they're talented enough to win here and there, but they're not talented enough to take it to the next level. And what you have is a treadmill team where we saw in the mid-90s for Portland, where they would just go in the first round and get swept. And I don't know about you, Sage, but I'm not about that. I don't get any enjoyment out of going in, going into a postseason where I know we have no chance at winning. How do we fix the culture of this team? If you think the culture is fucked up, how do we fix it? Is it cut bait with the people that established it? Bring in a new regime to, to teach passion, purpose, and pride? I... <laughs> And then game strategies, because uh, the game that sticks out most to me is that Atlanta game. I don't think Atlanta did any game-changing things to beat us. They just executed the brand of basketball that they know how to do. So I think it wasn't crazy. 
I mean, you like if if you pay attention, you know what bullet holes are likes to do, and they did it. <laughs> like there wasn't that much, you know, pushback. I think there doesn't necessarily, and what I mean by culture changes, I think it can be fixed easily. I just think there's one to two things that that has to happen. And I think it starts with your personnel on the court. You have to have guys like Dame, like Wes Matthews, you know, Jerome Williams, the junkyard dog back in the day. You got to have those guys, the Jerome Curseys, that they just love hooping. Like, it's just in their mm-hmm. DNA. Like, they get so much enjoyment out of going out on the court, laying it all on the line, and they're legitimately doing it with a smile on their face. They're excited to be out there. I think Portland has too many players, and I know if you do the Holy Backboard drinking game, get ready to take a drink. We have too many high-variance players, but I don't think – it's also – it's in talent and skill set, but it's in their mentality. And one of the reasons why I think we should absolutely trade Yusuf Nurkic before the deadline is because he reminds me in terms of his mentality – of guys like Nicholas Batum and Darius Miles. Now, I fell hook, line, and sinker for Darius Miles. I thought he was going to be an all-star with the team. I was so excited when we traded for him. I think he had like 41 points one night against Denver, and then the next game he was completely non-existent. So when I started to see the same patterns from Batum, I was ready to let him go. I did not think he was worth the contract that he got from Charlotte, and Batum was a guy who would get you a a 5 by 5 game, maybe a trip dub, um, just be that Swiss army knife. Yes, I know he's French, but you get the reference. Just that jack-of-all-trades small forward, the the new, you know, basically a Scottie Pippen light, like a guy who's going to handle the ball, shoot, distribute, play defense, just the overall versatile beast. But we got it like once every three or four games. I mean, Batum would just completely disappear some nights. And we're starting to see the same things from Yusuf Nurkic. He will go out and put up, you know, 21 and 12 like he did against the Philadelphia 76ers, a team against Joel Embiid, where, you know, he's going to be jacked up to play him. And then he'll have eight points and, you know, 11 boards on three of 11 shooting against the worst team in the league with not really a, a pulse at center. They started Ilyasova at center and Miles Plumley. No, Miles Plumley. <laughs> he should have feasted. He should have seen yeah, that team on the schedule. His eyes should have lit up and he should have probably started salivating a little bit. He should have been just ready to attack. And mm. if you watch Nurk and you're like, ooh, he has a great game then. Ooh, doesn't have a great game. That's because that's a lack of focus. I mean, that's mm. – he has the skill set. We know he does. But we have too many of those guys, and Maurice Harkless falls into that that same category. Sometimes he looks like a first-team all-defense, and other times you don't even know he's on the court. Yeah, there there have been games where it's like, oh, he's in. He hasn't done shit, though. If we had more guys, and obviously they need to be a little bit more talented than the players I'm going to reference to obviously win games, but we need more guys like Ed Davis and Pat Connaughton. They never stop moving. You should always have your players be moving. Pat cuts without the basketball so beautifully. I love it when he's in the game. He doesn't hesitate when he shoots and he moves and he's just always active. He's not the best player out there. He's definitely a seventh or eighth man in the NBA. And then Ed Davis, he never gives up on a play. Watch Ed Davis down low. He may see, you may look at the box score and say eight rebounds. Oh, that's not bad. But you count all the balls he gets his hands on and tips to his teammates. Those sure as shit count just as much. And he, regardless of the score, is always out there busting his ass. And that is something that 
I just that we do not have enough of those guys. Like we only have a handful of those dudes, Sage, and that's not enough in today's NBA when every team feels like they're loaded. So long story short, we need more. We need, we need more as West Matthews. We as West Matthews would say, we need more dogs on this team. What has been your favorite holy backboard moment in the last uh, two and a half years? Probably telling us. Probably telling. No, it's Rip City. I, I bleed it. You bleed it now a little bit too. It's we we we're 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 critical because we care. Absolutely, I'm, I'm being real with my thoughts and emotions. But what I have been think... your uh, favorite? calls or favorite moments that we've had definitely the time i predicted the blazers to beat the warriors during, oh, yeah. the, during the 2016 season after the all-star break i think you and evan both laughed me out of the the recording mm-hmm. and then dame drops a cool 51 uh we win the game you know i come on next week and it was all love um i also love the time i told our listeners about how i conned you in two actually two oh, ryan anderson fuck. things I conned you into believing Portland traded Myers Leonard for Ryan Anderson and how you were on a date the same day that Dame hit the game winner over Ryan Anderson. <laughs> All right. Do you want to tell the, the the way how you conned me and I'll tell the Ryan Anderson date story? Yeah, let's go. Um, you know, just, just texting you. I don't know why you believe me in the, this day and age. I of, trusted you. Of Twitter. I was like, ooh, did you hear about that trade? It was, but, it was, hey, hey, you worked for the team at that time. <laughs> worked for the team. And I was like, word just got out. Going to tell you something you cannot tell anyone. It's not going to leak just yet. Uh, we just got Ryan Anderson. Like, we, tra- we we traded Myers. Like, they apparently they really wanted, you know, this young, talented big and, you know, we're looking to win now with, with Aldridge and, you know, Batum and Wes and Damon. You know, I think he's going to be a great player off the bench. And took, you were, like, freaking out. I almost, swear to God, I almost posted on forums saying, like, I have a source from the Portland Trailblazers who <laughs> <laughs> says we trade. Keep in mind, Ryan Anderson was hurt. I know... I knew that we could not trade a hurt, injured player. But I did not give a fuck. I trusted my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I... For a few years, I loved Ryan Anderson. He was my guy. So, like, the fact that we traded him for someone I thought sucked at basketball. And I had a friend that worked for the team. He, he, you know, they have to say something. He, he, he's there at whatever the fuck the Rose Garden workplace is called. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm very, uh, I was very worried about my guy Ryan Anderson at that time. <laughs> uh, so, um, <clears throat> when Dustin worked for the team, he used to get me tickets. So, he and I were supposed to go to the game. This was against the Pel- uh, the Hornets at that time, I guess. And his he had a family emergency and just gave me the tickets. So, I thought it would be a perfect time to take a girl I liked out to a game. Um, I, as I remember, the Blazers were playing down to the Pelicans in talent. 
and the pelt hornets. The hornets made a game out of it. And last play of the game, I think Luke Babbitt passes it, passes it to Dame. Uh, Luke goes to set a pick on uh, Dame's uh, Gravis Vasquez. So Gravis and Ryan Anderson switched. Dame stepped back. Ryan tried to contest, but didn't actually do it. And it was Dame's first game winner. And I've really chilled on talking shit, but I was loud. I was, I loved that team. I loved the Hornets at that time. So I was very loud. The entire section hated me. Like, I annoyed the girl I was on a date with. I was, I annoyed everybody in the section. So as that shot went in, the entire section looked at me and left. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck. Because I was saying, Blazers are playing down to us. What are you doing? You're giving us a chance. You're giving us a chance. And then Dame just fucking ends us with a dagger three-pointer for the first game, his first game winner. And over my favorite player at that time, because I think he hit like seven threes that game. He was... He was, Ryan Anderson was hitting that game. Like, it was Wes Matthews' first game back from injury. Ugh, yeah, I I remember that play very well. (laughs) So, the first all-star voting was, was announced today. You have to be pretty pleased for your two your two bigs. <laughs> yeah, I mean my my my, my boo bears. I but mean sure. how in the obviously as a Blazer fan, you know that rarely happens that we get voted as starters. Clyde Drexler did it after he had to be a dream teamer and go to the finals <laughs> against Jordan to get voted into to the All Star game as a starter. But Damian Lillard has just 148,000 votes. Kyle Kuzma. Yes, he's playing great. (laughs) Has like 40,000 more votes. Lonzo Ball is only trailing him by 28,000. Manu Ginobili has almost 80, 85,000 votes more. Um, This, not surprising a bit, but it's also just... A little bit of salt in the wound. Like, Blazer fans have come to not give a shit about the All-Star game because we know we get disrespected. But it's crazy to see a guy like Giannis lead every player in the NBA in All-Star voting. And he plays in a small market, maybe smaller than Portland in Milwaukee. He is on an average team. They're 20 and 16. They're not really winning a whole lot. Uh, They're just fifth in the Eastern Conference. But he is just captivating. But it surprised me to see that Giannis was the overall vote-getter. And if I look at all of those things, I'm like, oh, okay, that means, you know, Dame should be able to do that. You know, they're 20 and 16. We're, you know, 19 and 18. We're only like a game off that pace. Um, We play in a similar market. Dame's got a signature shoe. He's on TV commercials around the clock. He released a rap album. Uh, He was 2K athlete. 2k athlete he you know fraternizes with you know Lil Wayne on the regular like this this dude is so much more visible like is it Portland like I I 
again, I'm not saying I expect him to lead any All-Stars or even make make the team based on the fan vote, but it's a little perplexing that he has all of that going for him, all of these endorsements, you know, Spalding, JBL, um, Adidas. Adidas, and he's still so far behind the competition. And How many games was he at? Five? Just five. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it, should, it shouldn't affect it that much. And the, I don't know. It, nothing really to debate. Just kind of talking out loud in the sense of it's just a little weird. Like, wh- like, what is it? Is it really Portland? I mean, is Milwaukee? Do people really know Milwaukee more than Portland? I mean, Gian- I no, but Giannis is pretty inc- like he's fucking incredible. I know okay. Dame is as well, but like Dame doesn't throw it down like Giannis does or. Oh no! I mean, I'm just like Giannis has more more votes than Steph than LeBron. Uh, it it's that one was pretty shocking, but again, nothing too surprising. I I, I don't I, I I don't give a shit really. If he he's don't, not gonna be the he's not gonna be one of the five. No, I, I don't care either. But it's it is perplexing. I mean, given how. I would say I think Damian Lillard has more global pull than Giannis. Not out, not a, a better basketball player, but I would think if you pulled the world, more people know who Damian Lillard is than Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't know about that one. Dame made I think it was either Forbes like top fifty, like so he's he's earning. Like and this just all about endorsements and everything. Like he goes over to China, he does all of this. I think he's definitely more known than a guy like Kyle fucking Kuzma. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I mean, Giannis is fucking incredible. No, I, and Kyle I'm not, Kuz- I'm I mean, not saying I th- that. I, think, I, I think just don't LA think shit for there is a 650,000 difference between Giannis and Dame. No. But uh, like Kuzma... Bla- maybe it's Blazer fans, because I don't. I voted like twice for Dame. Maybe we just don't give a shit and we're just not voting. No, because I think, I mean, when I look on Blazers Twitter, it's that it's like vote team Lillard type of vibe. So I I think the fans are at least trying. I mean, like the people that I fuck like that I fuck with that I you know align myself with definitely are like pushing pretty damn hard for the Dame to uh, make the All Star team. I mean, I. <laughs> I think I voted for him a few times. I, I, I remember voting for AD and uh, I think Omer Ashik once, just for funsies. So, I, I, I mean, I don't... It's kind of weird that, like, Manu's old ass got 80,000 votes, but it is what it is. I'm sure the Spurs created some bots or some shit. Because <laughs> it wasn't... It didn't... It didn't wasn't there a, Ka- a Kawhi Leonard bot last year? Was there? Yeah, I know, like... I know Yi Yilian was really close. Zaza was really close one year. Um, it's going to happen one of these times, and I think they'll probably cover it up and put another more well-deserving player in there, but I think it'll happen. Do you think it's- Dame makes the All-Star team as a, a coach's vote? Do you think is James is going to James Harden's back, right? For the All-Star game cuz he's out for 6 weeks. I don't know math. So. Oh, he's going to get voted as a starter, probably. Yeah. Well, I... Alright. No, let's say no injuries. Do you think Dame uh, makes top 12 in the West? 
How many guards are on the team? Well, let's just go team by team from the standings. The Warriors, I think Draymond, Steph, and KD will make it. Okay, that's three. Okay, Houston, obviously Harden's going to make it. San Antonio, I think they're going to get one. LaMarcus, maybe? I think LaMarcus will probably make it. Um, OKC, you got Russ. That's six. Paul George, maybe? Nah. I'm just going definitives right now. Okay. Minnesota, let's give them one. I don't know who it's going to be. Cat or Jimmy? Denver, I don't think it's none. anybody. None, 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 none. The Pelicans are going to have AD and Boogie starting. That's nine. So you're looking at nine, and we haven't talked about Clay Thompson. That's possibly ten. Um, actually, the more I look at I, I think he's he has to make it because the you can't give it to Blake or DeAndre. They've been out too much. Rudy Gobert's been hurt. The Jazz are underperforming. Um, you're not going to give it to anybody on Phoenix, Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis, or LA. So unless the Timberwolves get like three and the Thunder get three, Damian Lillard should make this team. If, if we're just doing a straight numbers, even Golden State could have all four players. Dame should make that top 12. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's some teams that just don't have impressive, well-known players. Like, I, I mean, Jokic is great, but like... Really, it's only advanced stats nerds and people that watch League Pass that really know how great he is. Damian Lillard is more established in every stage of, like, you know, promo. I mean, like, e- even on the East Coast, you, that, that Blazer game is the last game, or the Warriors is the last game of the night most nights. So, like, I, I think Dame gets it over Joker. So, I, I think he gets it, but he's like... Uh, He'll he'll get it like the eleventh or twelfth spot. Have you um, started paying attention more to college hoops now that the Blazers have been struggling? No, not yet. I know uh, that Euro dude's fucking amazing, Luca. Yeah, he looks like a bad mother. He's a bad motherfucker. He fucked up Victor Claver. Oh yes, he did. He danced with him. <laughs> he fucked that boy up. Oh uh, no, I. You know, it might have just been optimism or something, but like, at the beginning of the year, I knew from the bottom of my heart, Pelicans are training their first round pick, so I won't need to know anything for them. Portland's probably going to be a top five seed. That pick's going to suck anyway, so it's like, I don't. we don't even need to worry about it. We're going to be a top five seed. Now, in reality, it's like, oh, shit, I probably should watch some college basketball. I just haven't... You know, the holidays and all that stuff really screws some stuff up. But yeah, I'm going to have to watch some basketball, some college basketball. Like, the only games that I've really watched were Boz, because I have this weird love for Boz, uh, Bonzi Colston. God, I forgot his name, but I love him. He got hurt. He did? Oh. See, I don't even pay attention to that. He's out eight weeks. No, I think this draft is super interesting, especially if you're looking. At Portland, they're slated to pick 15th around 16th, and there could be moves to be made. Um, there are players that are out there that I think could really help Portland. It's not as deep as last year's, though, It's not right? as deep, but – so what's weird is I really love, like, six or seven prospects. Then I think you get probably from seven to the end of the lottery, and it's 
not super sexy, but I think there could be some some studs to be had in the later the second half of, of that first round. And again, I really hope Neil looks to add first round picks rather than trade it away because we need talent. We need talent. We need to infuse it. I mean, if we're going to have to be patient with this roster, you got you got to find those gems in the first round, no matter where you're picking. And, you know, you got, got us into this mess. You got to find a way to get out. So I've definitely been upping my my intake of games. When we lose, I don't even bat an eye anymore. I look and see how does it affect the, how does it affect our draft pick. <laughs> you stone cold bitch. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. I I mean I may have perused it a few times, but I've I, I haven't gotten to that point where it's like, okay, this is this affect us draft wise. I haven't gotten there yet. I mean, in reality, I should be there, but it's just like. I don't know. I trust Dame a little too much, but I, I get where you're at. But I mean, I think it was Pinwheel Empire. They had a, a poll a few games back after one of our losing streaks. They, <laughs> our many losing streaks. <laughs> they put, you know, how are you feeling right now? Are you still emotionally invested? Are you? Oh, I remember your post. I don't remember what you said, but I know you commented. Are you, you know, emotionally detached? Are you just don't care? Or are you like as, you know, fervent as ever? And I, I voted I'm emotionally detached. Like, yes, I wear the gear for every game. I have half season tickets. I go to every game that I can. I watch every game that I'm able to watch. I'll even record them and, and watch them afterwards if I'm not able to make it. At the same time, I know what this team is now. They're a 500 basketball Mediocre. team. Mm-hmm. They have no chance at winning a championship. They're frustrating. They're invigorating. They can beat the best team. They can lose to the worst team. I don't let that shit get to me anymore. Like, I was really bad, especially when I was about 15, when we lost that series against the Lakers. Like, that season, I let every game How get to me. How much did it affect you? Every How much night. Did that game? Every, okay. No, no, just the season. Like, because we were trying to catch up with the, the Lakers the whole way. Like, it was a, a back and forth. And I let every game get to me. Like it, obviously, I was fifteen, so like that was that, the, life. that was my life. Like I didn't have a job or a wife. Like that was my life. Like the Blazers, and they were so good and so fun. But I let that shit get to me, and I just had to make a change. I was like, no, I love basketball. I want to enjoy it. But like, if we lose, so so be it. And I think that's that's you know where I'm. You know, I transitioned to that a few years ago. Um, but even w- when they when. I can be realistic about the team and know we're not going to make it past the first round or you know, maybe make the playoffs at all. On one hand, it is really easy to just let those losses roll off your back. And you're like, oh, I can see that loss coming a mile away. We're not playing well tonight. You know, our shots are off or it's just not our night or we had a bad call going against us. You know, I'm not going to huff and puff and waste my energy on a 500 team in terms of letting it affect me. Now, if we start to get like elite, you know, you might need to send me some some Rolades or some Tums and <laughs> let me know it's just Word. a game because that's when I really start. You know, you're watching the games and you you know you're cheering and clapping and I'll definitely do that at at the RG. But when I'm at home, I'm super low key now. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. and it's I don't like I said that Atlanta game was just like the straw that that broke broke my back a bit. You know, obviously we do the podcast and all continue to watch every single game but i think if they're not careful paul allen 
could start to lose this fan base a bit because if you're looking at me, super hardcore fan, and I'm able to take losses all right, and I probably won't be re-upping my season tickets because it's a big investment. The the stadium that was once full, I mean, people are going to start finding other things to do. Not everyone is a hardcore fan. So I think they need to be weary of the detriment that putting a 500 product out on the court can do. If you're tanking and you have a vision, some people can get behind that, and it's really fun to go watch those new rookies come and play. Obviously, when you're elite, tickets are impossible to come by. But when you're in those murky waters that Portland's been shredding for the past three, four years, sooner or later, people are going to be like, what is going on? And I think we're starting to see those wheels start to turn a bit. People are like, oh, those decisions really did mess with us. Or Terry Stotts, why aren't you playing Vonley more? Why are we losing so many home games? Why? You keep hearing, you know, why, why, why? Why do you play so fucking much? Exactly. And, you know, I don't want to see that happen because it is one of the best fan bases in the NBA. The games are so fun to go to, you know, just because I I don't want to shell out the money to, to go to half of the games next year. I'll still go to the home opener. I'll still go to a handful of games. But when a team... Essentially, you got to be smart with your money. Like, are you willing to say, like, watching a 500 team is worth all of your your investment, you Doug, know, all, I, I, all, all of your free free money? You know, this is your just your your money uh, to go spend. It's your hobby money. You got your bills, your mortgage, you know, your savings, all that bullshit to to take into account. You're left with a, a you know, some change. What do you want to do with it? Do you want to save it to go on a trip? You know, do you want to save it? Um, to invest in your house, or you know, do you going to find another hobby? Or are you going to spend it on the you know the Blazers or whatever team you follow? So I, I think the Blazers have to be very careful. Yes, they have a loyal fan base, but I don't know how many more years people are going to be able to stick this one out. Like I think they need to see something happen. Keep in mind, bro. I went to two games. I live in I live five hour drive away. So I went to the home opener with you. I just burped. Uh. Two weeks later, I went up to watch a game with Tara. Now, if Tara said, I got some free tickets to, like, a New Orleans game, which is impossible because there is no more New Orleans games, I'd go up. But, like, it's got to be, like, the Blazers can't be the main reason I go to Portland this year. It's got to be, like, I'm visiting friends. I'm hanging out with you. I'm glad to know I'm third in line. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. <laughs> it's to see you. It's to see other friends. Thank you. It's maybe to see my weird family. It isn't to watch the Blazers in person. Like that isn't the main reason like it was for game opener. Like it was for my bonding time with the team mom. So, I mean, like that's how I'm feeling with like, you know, do I go to see a Blazers versus the Celtics game sounds fun or I could go to Atlanta and do some <laughs> gaming tournaments or some shit like I, it, it, it's now not like oh yeah I'm gonna go to Portland it's you know Atlanta could be cool too like that's how I feel with like my extra money that I can spend so I, I mean that, that that's the, the, the when you're an inconsistent 41 win team that's that's the the thought process. If we were kicking ass and playing consistent, maybe maybe I would be more uh, 
cool with driving five hours to watch a game. And if people want to say that that's bandwagon talk, I just completely disagree. I be- watch every single game, every because single minute. When I talk we about. were the worst team in the league, I believe in the 04-05 season or the 05-06 season. I think it was 05-06 because that was the year we were supposed to get the number one pick. It dropped down to four. We were the worst team in the league. I was living in Albany at the time, hour, hour and a half drive away. I would come up. I think I even got like a quarter season package or I would just buy tickets. Those were some of the funnest games to watch. One, because you got to go in early and there was hardly anybody there. So the ushers would let you sit and you'd get bomb ass seats for, you know, $10 just to get in the building. And two, you were watching what you thought was the next foundation, the next mm. wave of a Trailblazers identity. You know, it was seeing, shit, how does Martel Webster, Sebastian Telfair, Travis Outlaw, Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, Zach Randolph, you know, all of those guys at one point or another, you know, these were our young bucks. Like, these, they're going to start putting the team on their backs, and you get to say you were there to watch their development. Mm. There was a game in particular during Brandon and LaMarcus's rookie year where me and Matt went – and it was so much fucking fun. We were playing the Charlotte Bobcats, but L.A. was showing off what he would become. I think he put up like 30 points, you know, maybe 10 or 11 rebounds, was just dominating the shit uh, out of the Bobcats. And that one win, the the win didn't matter, but it was the energy in the building. It was mm-hmm. everyone seeing this is our number two overall pick. This was the dude that's going to take the franchise, you know, to the next level. And this is we're gonna we're gonna make it. Like, yeah, it's dark times right now, but watching watching the come up, being a part of the come up is one of the most satisfying things about being a sports fan. Being there from the beginning and watching those homegrown guys, you know, do their thing. You know, I can remember vividly plays of, you know, Travis Outlaw going between his legs on a fast break, stopping and doing a step back jumper um against the Mavericks on TNT. He probably one of his first real NBA moves you know, two or three years into the league. There was a game against the Lakers when we had nobody. We had Sebastian Telfair. We had Victor Kriapa, Ha Sung Jin. They had Kobe Bryant. We still won the game. Bassey went behind the back to Ha for like a powerful slam. And the whole arena went nuts. I mean, this was when we were bottom of the barrel. And the Lakers still had Kobe. But I thought Bassey was the future. You know, was I, did I have blinded optimism? Yeah, but I had that optimism. I had that hope. Right now, Dame and CJ are amazing, but they are getting towards their prime, and we don't see those young bucks laying in the mm. weeds ready to make that come up. We see a bunch of veterans who have probably tabled off and have gotten paid, and now they're going to be saddled with those contracts for a while, and you're just kind of sitting around and waiting. So, you know, unless Dame goes off for 59 like he did against the Jazz at the end of the year, or, you know, maybe CJ hits a game winner, it's – the excitement just isn't there. The excitement was there for that Philly game when we finally played with with some intensity, but it just has come and gone and come and gone, and you, and you don't know what to expect. So, you know, not long story short, we're in the worst possible position, and I think – Everyone who rides through this, you've earned your blazer stripes. Like, you've got that sash. I just don't think that our such, like, the whole true fan, real fan, fake fan bullshit. We're all fans of the team. I don't give a shit about it. I do it. think there is bandwagon versus a hardcore fan, a diehard fan and bandwagon fan. Fair enough, but. Because if you. If you uh, watch every game, 
and you think the betterment for the team is maybe tanking? Oh, I don't yeah, think yeah, of yeah. them as any less. No, than- I'm talking about a fan who checks out in sense of I'm not going to watch the games. I don't give a shit what happens. But if they if if that if bandwagon fans are not listening to this show, no, thanks. obviously yeah. not. Like like the <laughs> shit like. But there is a difference between a bandwagon yeah. or a casual fan than there is a diehard fan or a fan who's with the team through thick and thin. And I'll give you a perfect mm-hmm. example. I when I when I did mess with the NFL, I don't anymore. I was a 49er fan. Um, we were really good with Harbaugh. The Blazers had a lockout year, and I started really, fo- you know, following with them, starting watching every game, you know, trying to make an effort to watch the games even when the Seahawks were on instead. And then all of a sudden, they started sucking, and I started tuning out. I would maybe watch a game here or there. Uh, if they won or lost, I didn't care. Um, and with the, you know, the way the NFL treated Kaepernick and all of the protests, I really started tuning out. But if I were still, you know, enjoying the nfl and i was like "Ooh, jimmy garoppolo they've won like four or five in a row i'm pretty excited to watch next year now that's how i am with the niners mm. so that i'm not a, a real fan i'm the, the epitome of a casual fan the blazers on the other hand does, you know every game watching every game mm. tuned in on twitter doing this podcast every week you know 100 episodes in 100 episodes in motherfuckers so i definitely think there is a difference between uh, through thick and thin, and just a casual. Oh, you know, absolutely, absolutely! I'm I'm up when only the weather's nice. And all I'm saying is, if you stick with this team, you put in your time. When that day does happen, don't know when it's going to happen. I might be dead long and gone. Aww. But when that day happens, when we're hosting up the Larry O'Brien Trophy, it will mean so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much more. It'll be so sweeter knowing knowing that you didn't waver. Didn't matter mm-hmm. whether you wanted the team to win or lose. You were there, dedicated. You know, you you were a Trailblazer fan. It just it runs through your veins. Well, so keep in mind, bro. Like, I've been a Saints fan my entire life, dude. Shit, we we've had some tough times. Like, I remember when I was in junior high school, and I would wear my Saints gear like every game day. Like when they were the one time they, a year they were on. On Monday night, I would wear my Saints gear. I'd wear my Deuce McAllister shirt. People thought I was wearing Ram shit. They had no idea who the fuck the Saints were. Like, I watched every game. And before I knew what streaming technology was, I would look at the like the game log on ESPN. Every time Drew Brees would throw a fucking pass, I would see like that little stick on the field. And then it'd see it get a little closer and closer. Like, to see that my team would develop Go in the draft, find hidden gems, and in 2009, win a championship? Like, that shit. Like, I'm not as passionate about the Saints as I was in 2009, because I knew every player on that team. But, like, to feel that, and, like, you know, back when people didn't know who the fuck Deuce McAllister was, the best Saint currently. Like, to see that team win a championship? Fuck, man. Like, I wouldn't give away that memory in that time in my life or anything that shit was impactful on so many different levels like i told my friends in 2006 when we got drew Brees, you know if we win a championship i could die happy now it's like marshall that is actually good 
Alvin Kamara is actually good. Do you think we're going to get a second one in 10 years? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I totally get it. Like, <laughs> I'm an example of when you stick with your team and they won a championship. How sweet that shit was. Like, Doug, when the Blazers win a championship, I'm going to tell you something. You cannot make a call in Portland. I tried so hard to get in touch with my friends in New Orleans when they won a championship. It was impossible for a phone call to get through because the wires were so fucking busy with so many people being happy, with so many people just shocked to see the team that they ride, rode for for years win a championship. So, like, the fact that you, in 2004, saw Hassan Jin fucking play basketball is going <laughs> to be worth it when you fucking... When whomever the fuck is on the team... When the Blazers win a championship, it's going to be so much more worth it. I mean, just think. Did you ever think the Saints would ever win a Super Bowl? I sure as fuck didn't. <laughs> Speaking of a player who I think stuck with a franchise through thick and thin, Paul Pierce, Boston Celtics. He is, I think, having his jersey retired on February 11th. Same night the Cavs are coming into town. For whatever reason, Isaiah Thomas did not want a video tribute on his first return, maybe because he wasn't playing. And he said, you know, just do it the next time I'm in town. Paul Pierce is like, whoa, hold the reins. I remember when I was in the gym for Kobe's last night and they did stuff for him every time out. Like, I want that to be me. I don't want Isaiah Thomas taking any of this limelight. What What are your thoughts on that? Do you, are you, do you think Paul Pierce is right? I mean, dude, again, he was there when... He took the team to some pretty high heights with not that much talent. Like, it was Antoine Walker and then It was Walter McCarty and Antoine Walker, yeah. And Tony Delk at, like, the two. They almost made the finals. Yeah, like, I feel like when he's put, you put in that much work for the franchise, you, you can, you can, you can pull that move. You can pull that move. I think he is 100% right. Yeah. I, I think he has the balls to say it. A lot of people would be like, you know, I don't really mind, but deep down you're like, I don't like this should be my night. Like I, mm. I like the selfishness. Most of the time I'm all about being unselfish and, you know, giving unto others, but there's times when you got to be selfish for yourself. And, you know, he was there for how many fucking years of got drafted bad basketball. In, well, he got drafted in 98 and he held it up in 2016. I think he played for Washington, Brooklyn and the Clippers those last three years. So he was there about 15 years. That's a Isaiah, long Isaiah was there for two, and yes, Isaiah... He, he killed it for those two he years. He killed it. He played after his, his sister died. There's nothing he, Isaiah could not have done more for that franchise. He should be on that fucking team right now. He should he de- be. He dedicated so much of his time to that city, but fuck. Next year. Next year. Yeah. It's like just, Paul Pierce has been there for 15, yeah. and Isaiah, it was a perfect Celtic. He fit that team, he fit that culture, he sacrificed so much. But you gotta respect the guy that brought a championship to the city and shit like that. And that's at least how I feel. I mean, maybe nope. people think I, we're wrong. Yeah. Alright, Sage, let's wrap this bad boy up. We have games against the Hawks on Friday and the Spurs on Sunday at home before going out on what is to date the toughest four-game trip of the season since this is our 100th episode just gonna say they're gonna split the games 
probably beat the Hawks. Probably <laughs> lose to the Spurs. Spurs. It, 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 could go, it could be inversed. It could go the other way, but you yeah, know with the Blazers, it's going to be 500. So, yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a one-on-one week. So since we're going a little speed around with it, you know what time it is. I do not for that. It, it's time for me to talk shit about 2K. <laughs> Yo. Speed round. Last week wasn't much 2K game playing because the fucking family and shit. But this week, Doug, I've been going ham. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, NBA 2K has an E-League. Portland Trailblazers have a team. So what players have to do is win 50 Pro-Am games. And then they're eligible for the second part of the tryout. I don't have a pro-am team. I just have friends that I play 2K with. So I've been playing a fucking lot with randoms. And holy shit, they're untalented at this game. Like, I I have to go triple-double alert to win games, dog. And it is fucking annoying. Because I, I play with a kid today that went 3 for 20 on shots. And I had to get all of those offensive rebounds. And I'm a 6'3 guard, dog. If you're going to try out for this shit and be real. Wait, are you going to try out for the Blazer 5 gaming? Absolutely. That's absolutely I'm going to try out. I just want to see what I have. I've talked shit about this, about 2K for months now on here. At least I want to try and see what I can do compared to the best people on earth at this game. I don't think I'll make it. But I think I want to at least be able to say, I tried out, and didn't work out for me, but at least I tried. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying out for it, man. So, I gotta win these games. You untalented motherfuckers that I play with, pass me the ball and try and get open. That's all I gotta say in the Sage's 2K corner. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I'm gonna be streaming NBA 2K with the homeboy Stu Pendis next week. So be on the lookout for that. Can you do a stream of a franchise where you do the draft and trades oh, and all yeah. that shit? I, I I have to do that shit as well. I'm nerdy about that. So do it. Do it sometime at night. You know, I'll yeah. get, get a cat, get it my computer, just and watch it. All right, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll. I was gonna do it two weeks ago, and then one week ago, but like family and all that other shit happened. So. I'm definitely going to do that. I'll stream it. I'll share it with the Holy Backboard viewers and shit like that. But, uh, Dustin, is there anything you want to say? This is time for you to make a plug. Is there any plugs that you want to... Is there anything you want to say? They know where to find us. At Holy Backboard PDX, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes. Subscribe if you haven't. We're a fun-ass podcast. Yeah, we talk. Yeah, we ramble, but... Fuck it, you're listening to us. You're listening to us at work right now anyways, so it's all good. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!